You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Friends, today we're talking about something that we talk about quite a lot at Regent and we've talked about a few times on the podcast is this sort of idea of vocation and occupation and decision making and sort of how those things link together and how those things different and how do you need one of those to determine the others and what how do we actually help and think about these these kind of questions, particularly for young people, sort of in high school and kind of college, university age. And we're talking with someone who is brilliant at helping us understand that. We were talking with Tammy Peterson, who is the founder and CEO of an organisation called Life Architects. Um, And she's a a MOLTS grad, a, a graduate of the Master of Arts in Leadership, Theology and Society here at Regent. And she's, occupationally, she's been a, an elementary school teacher, a high school teacher, an admissions director, as, as well as kind of career coaching and college advising and those sorts of things. Her role at Life Architects is as the founder and creative engagement officer, where she designs and directs the projects that they work on to help people flourish by connecting with individuals and families and institutions and helping them understand what sorts of questions do we ask, what sorts of, how do we help kind of people discern how it is that they're living to reflect the image of the God in whose image they've been created. Yeah, Tammy's perspective on on vocation, occupation was really helpful too, and just uh, their framework that they've developed around um, what is vocation and then how do people discern their vocation and all reflecting on, on a biblical worldview and understanding and creating an image of God. So mm-hmm. it's a really helpful organization, I think, for, for young people and for people who are looking to maybe shift their careers or just to reframe how they view their vocation. Mm -hmm. So we hope you enjoy and are slightly somewhat inspired by our conversation with Tammy Peterson. Tammy, welcome to the Regent Podcast. It's so good to have you. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. It's very exciting to be thinking about Regent again since I left. So yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. You you have been at Regent as part of the MOLTS program, but tell us a little bit about your own journey, whatever you want to share, and maybe how you how that did that lead you to Regent? Okay. Yeah. So I was um, a high school guidance counselor. That's how everything starts. Mm. I taught before that, but I was a guidance counselor, director of guidance at a Christian high school for 10 years and ended up um thinking I wanted to do grad school, tried a couple different programs. Uh, you know, I thought it might be counseling and then I thought it might be school counseling and nothing really fit. And I was working on a team um, that was developing a certification for guidance counselors. And we were using Steve Garber's book, Fabric of Faithfulness, just mm-hmm. as our primary text. And so they were required to read it. And we waited through all of the um, all of the philosophy that's in the middle of that. I was just like, I just love this. I love mm how he triangulates the ideas of how people stay connected to their faith. And because I was working with high school and college kids, that was one of those things that I was like, yes, this is a message that needs to get out there. And so I, um, we finished that task and now that certification is up and running and we got to talking about kind of next steps. And one of the things that uh, led me to coaching was that I needed better questions Mm -hmm. and so I was working with students and, you know, as you, um, as you work with people, you begin asking sort of the same question all the time. And high school students, the big question in the counseling office is, so what classes do you like? And, you know, they say, well, I like math. And then you're like, okay, here are the math careers. And that's kind of the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's gotta be more than this. Right. So as we were discussing it, I, um, reached out to, it's funny. I reached out to Steve's um, people. It was actually the um, Faith Vocation and Culture Institute and asked, did he have like short form writing? Because I wanted to give kids short form writing that he was writing. And they were like, yeah, I mean, we have his blogs, but we don't really have anything that's the short version of Fabric of Faithfulness. And it was right before I think he wrote Visions of Vocation. And so 
I was thinking this is the kind of stuff I want to talk about in grad school. And I, mm-hmm. and that was right around 2015, 2016. And I kept looking, I just kept searching for things. And I have a friend who lives just south of the border in Washington. And I had heard about Regent through Reframe. So somehow mm-hmm. Reframe got on my, on my plate. I don't know where mm-hmm. it came from. <laughs> who knows? But I got connected to it. And I was like, yes, this is the kind of thing I want to do. I don't, I don't want to step out of the the current that I'm in and go do something completely different. I want to continue to kind of ride this wave and figure out what God is leading me to. And mm-hmm. so I I contacted Regent and said, hey, I'm really interested in using Reframe to talk to some people that I'm working with. What do you guys do for that? And so they were, they were like, oh, here's some options. And so I used Reframe, started some conversations and I, and I, I just kept, kept going, okay, there's more than this. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, mm-hmm. but there's more than this. And so my friend who lives in Washington said, hey, let's go up to Vancouver for a day and just kind of look around. And I was like, oh, well, that'd be great. Hmm. There's this place and I don't even know where it is. I just know it's in Vancouver somewhere. (laughs) And if I got the address, would you mind stopping by? So she said, no, no, no. So we were there and we stopped by and I walked in and just went, oh, this is a cool place because it is. And I had a conversation with admissions. And at that point, um, they had nothing with low residency. Everything Mm -hmm. was moved to Vancouver and, you know, that was not going to work for me. And so I was like, well, if you guys ever get anything where you're just kind of doing a couple of weeks here and there, besides your summer stuff, um, let me know, because I'm interested, like in a master's degree, that I don't have to uproot myself and come somewhere, even though Vancouver is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. love to live there. (laughs) Uh, And so I got an email from... So I don't remember who it was from, someone in the beginning that just said, we're beginning this thing. It's low residency and it's called malts. And I was like, oh my goodness, leadership, theology, and society. That sounds like the triangulation that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, then the rest is history. I was in the first cohort and it was just amazing, just, just amazing talking with people from all walks of life, many different occupations who were trying to figure out how to talk about how people move in the world in their occupations, but also in their relationships in a way that made sense and was coherent. Mm -hmm. So it was just great having lots of conversations about that. Yeah. And so how would you say that, like, could could you articulate kind of how that formed you then? Like, did it, did it give you the better questions that you were kind of hoping for or what stood out to you from, from that? Yeah. So um, along with getting trained as a professional coach, which I am a a certified life and leadership coach, uh, asking, learning how to ask better questions through malts was more about observing people. It was Mm. very interesting because there's so much conversation both in class and outside of class around these topics. Like, how do you, how do you bring what you're thinking about theologically back to your work? And we all obviously have to make something that we bring back to our work. And so the conversation for me was like, well, I think questions are what I want to bring back to my work, but I also, Mm. I'm kind of a hands-on person. So I was like, well, I want to make something that, I don't know, people can actually use instead of just coming back with a paper saying, here's a paper on this. um, I wanted to make some things that they could actually use. So um, so I brought my coaching questions because I'd gotten coach certified before I came to Maltz and brought those coaching questions to Maltz. And then, as you know, there's a couple trained coaches that do some of the teaching in Maltz. Mm-hmm. And so it was just fascinating to watch the inquiry um, process with mm-hmm. people. There's a mm-hmm. lot of information given to us, but then there was a lot of reflection required of us. And then in between, we had these discussions. So they'd teach us something, we'd have a discussion, and then we'd go reflect. And I think that process for me in such a short period of time, while it was a lot of information and a lot of conversation, it kind of filled my brain with fodder for the time between the residencies that I was thinking about, how is this going to work in my life? Mm -hmm. And um 
And I just think it was, it was fascinating to talk to people in so many different occupations Mm -hmm. that were trying to figure out how to talk about who they were and do their job effectively and honestly and do it well. Mm -hmm. Mm, So Mm -hmm. sweet. So good. Yeah. I I, I want to get more into um, the organization that you founded and and now are part of and, and run. But before, I, I wonder if you could just maybe bring some clarification to um, around uh, career coaching and counseling or vocational coaching and counseling. Um, wh- like, what is that? First of all, like, what is c- career coaching or car- uh, vocational uh, coaching? And then is there a difference between the the career or I'm sorry, the counseling piece and the coaching piece? And if so, what what is that? Yeah, that's something we're trained pretty seriously on in coaching is um, we are not counselors. In fact, we have paperwork that you sign that says we are not counselors. And that's Mm. really good. Uh, The main difference between counseling and coaching is counseling usually is working on a pathology. They're asking the question, why? Why do you do the things you do? Coaching is taking you from where you are and moving through the change required to do the things that you want to do and be the person you want to be. So Mm. as you can imagine, there's a a whole bunch of overlap in those two areas, Mm -hmm. but we're Mm -hmm. trained as certified coaches to know the boundary. So if someone's talking about, I don't know why I can't get this done. I'm I've got this goal. You've, and we might be working on something together. You've said you wanted to do this for three sessions now. Right. And you just can't seem to get it. So what do you think that's about? And then as they're talking and they're bringing up things from their past or experiences, and we're here, we might be hearing trauma, or we might be hearing something going on with their family of origin or Hmm. something like that. That's the moment where I'll stop coaching and say, this is an area that you might want to explore with a counselor because they're Hmm. really trained at getting to the bottom of what's going on in the pathology of your past, the things that are really pushing on you that are preventing you from doing the things that you want to do. And, and we can continue coaching while you're working through that. But I think after three sessions that you've really said you want to do this and you're kind of poking around in areas that are more counseling Mm -hmm. related that you might want to have a counseling session or two, just to kind of say, I'm struggling with this. How can you help me? Right. Oh, that's really helpful. I think that's helpful for people who are interested in some sort of career uh, coaching to know like that, even going into it. And then also people who are interested in doing that to know what it, what it looks like going into it. I wonder if we could, we could get into the, uh, organization that you started, I I believe it's called life architects. Can you explain, uh, like what, what this is, what the, what the goal of, of this organization is. And then I also wonder if you could share with us, like how maybe it shifted over time from, from its Genesis. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't actually know I was founding a company. It's kind of funny, those (laughs) accidental entrepreneurs out there. I'm one of them. I've Mm. run a company for 10 years now, and I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, I need to get better at this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I I started thinking about this, uh, I was a director of guidance at a high school working with a bunch of students. And I just really felt like I was um, moving into a different sphere so I was training counselors and I was writing a bunch of stuff for the counselors um, and the organizations that I was a part of were always having me come and speak at conferences and different things like that. So I really felt like I, I was gone a lot in, from my school. Mm-hmm. And while we are gone some visiting colleges and everything, I really felt the pull to a different type of work. Mm-hmm. And so I went in to talk to my bosses. I had um, a a principal and a school head. And it was really, we had, we had, it was my contract conversation about the next year. And uh, by the end of it, I was telling them my vision and what I was hoping for and all this. And they just were like, are you quitting? And I was like, (laughs) I didn't think I was quitting. I thought I was just coming in to talk about like other areas I could work in. And they said, well, we think you might want to spend some time thinking about this because Mm. it sounds like you might be moving into a different Mm. job. So I came home to my husband and of course he was like, okay, yes, we know we've been talking about this, <laughs> but yeah, that's a big step. 
Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to quit? Are you done with the work that you're doing there? And I, and I, so I had to spend some real reflection time on whether or not that was a thing. And so that was 2012. That was kind of the beginning of the journey. Okay. And I came back a couple of days later and just said, yeah, I think I'm quitting and I don't actually know what I'm doing, hmm. but I know I'm going to be doing uh, the things that I don't have time for here. And so right. it took me about a year to figure out, um, I was mentoring some coaching, some uh, guidance counselors, and I was working with a couple schools that wanted to revamp their guidance office. And so the framework that I had worked under at my school, I was just kind of pushing out into the world. Hmm. Well, that's when I started thinking, okay, I, I need better questions. So I got trained as a coach. And so what I ended up doing with Life Architects is I my vision for it at the beginning was I just want to work with students and have more time with them mm-hmm. because the important thing with, with high school age students and college age students is to have enough reflection time for them to understand how they make decisions. Right. And so in the day, in the, in the school day, there's just not enough time. And this is the hardest mm-hmm. part for school guidance counselors is everything is on that 50 minute bell schedule and the students go from one thing to another and they just don't have enough time for each student. And so I began thinking, well, I guess I could offer my services to the schools. Um, What I discovered in doing that was that the stuff I wanted to do was the stuff they really wanted to do. Mm. (laughs) So Mm. they were like, well, why don't you just train us to do what you do And the conversation, we had lots of conversations with, um, I have a big group of counseling friends and um, school counselor friends, and they were just like, yeah, we just don't have enough time to do this Mm. and we don't have money to pay you to do it either. And so that was kind of the, the rude awakening as an entrepreneur for me. And I was using some assessments at the time. And so I began thinking how we could use those assessments and just offer them to whoever would like them. So I began offering them to families and homeschool co-ops. I was still uh, training counselors and talking to them about all this. And I still do that today. And um, they were very gracious to have me come in and talk about things that then they could implement little things that they could change in the way they talk to students about vocation and occupation. And it has really developed into me talking mostly about the difference between vocation and occupation and Mm -hmm. how we talk about young people about it and how they can squeeze in however much time they have those ideas um, so the kids can understand a little bit better about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. What What is the tell- difference? Whoa, Claire, <laughs> come on, on the same page. You go, go. Claire. <laughs> yeah, what's the difference between occupation and vocation? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so that is one thing that Regent actually helped me define mm. because I really think we've been circling around this um, so much since 2000. The church Mm. has kind of awoken to the fact that um, vocation is a thing, first of all. It's something. We're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what it is. We know we have been created in God's image to do something. Mm -hmm. But is that vocation? Is the doing the vocation or is the being the vocation? Mm. And we've settled on in our company that the being is the vocation. Right. Mm -hmm. So your vocation is how God has created you to reflect his image. And so then you take that being into occupations. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is vocational discipleship, meaning we're working on who you are. And then we do the occupational coaching, which is, well, now that we know a little bit about who you are, and of course that's a lifelong journey, um, we can say, here are some areas that might be interesting for you to work in. Mm -hmm. And of course um, it helps because if we believe everyone has a vocation, which I do, Mm -hmm. then it shouldn't be people who have the leisure and the opportunity to make a choice about occupation that have a vocation. So it's like you have a vocation and then you are occupied with doing and um, creating Mm -hmm. things. And we, we actually think about it 
um, initially, especially for high school students in four broad areas that kind of helps them get going. Mm. So for high school and college students who've never thought about it before, we talk about four areas of reflecting God's image that you might have a leading edge in. And so the mm. first area, so we, we set students up, we say, um, I'm going to say four different areas. And I want you to think about which one of these you're most drawn to. Mm-hmm. So we say the first one is creating beauty. The second one is bringing order out of chaos. The third one is seeking and saving that which is lost. And the fourth one is healing and restoring. Mm. Mm. And so it's our so good. Yeah, it's our first stab really at um, what are some broad categories that we can help kids say, oh, yeah. Mm. And so what would you guys say is the leading edge for you? What, yeah. When you heard them, you're like, oh, yeah. Mm. I really like mm. that. Oh, you're going to have to. Uh, we have you to want repeat me to repeat them? them? Yeah, yeah. So bring, creating bring beauty. beauty. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Creating beauty bringing order out of chaos, seeking and saving that which is lost and healing and restoring. Mm. My two would be order out of chaos and healing and restoring. Oh, I was going to say those two, two Claire. Mm-hmm. Pardon? I was going to say those two as well. <laughs> oh, good. Well, it makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what are yours, Tammy? Well, it's funny because what happens is, is once you start looking at these four things, you're like, well, all four of them. And I had a student say that mm-hmm. to me last week. He was like, well, all four of them really reflect God. And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm drawn to all four of them, he said. And I mm-hmm. said, well, that means you have a lot of areas that you're going to reflect the image of God. Mm-hmm. And now you just need to decide which area you want to start with. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so Thinking through that, he and I are going to have more conversations, obviously, about it. But mm-hmm. thinking through it, it's like, oh, okay. Um, so oh. I started, it's funny because I, I know my my family so much better than I know myself sometimes. Um, so I'll, I'll tell my husband's story because mm-hmm. I tell his story a lot and he loves it. Um, he is an accountant. And so his leading edge, meaning what he started with in college, was bringing order out of chaos. Mm-hmm. But he also has this side where his family is very musical. They sang four-part harmony his whole life. And he sings in a big barbershop chorus now. And he just, he has this beauty side and he's a photographer. And so he he's kind of been working through this going, well, I know my leading edge is bringing order of chaos, but I love to create beauty. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and this is the key, I think, to how we think about vocational occupation is then he said, and I'm going to tell you, a well-ordered spreadsheet is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it's and true. I just went, all right then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah, the kind of the combination. And I guess is it true too that sometimes you're not is it true that your occupation will always accurately mirror your vocation? I mean, in an ideal world, yes. But yes. Yes, so oh, if you I think about it this way, yeah, you think about it as if you um if you are called to reflect the image of God and that's your vocation, let's just, let's just yep. make it that right. way. Cause it's, it's simple. Yep. And that's one thing I have learned that that is one thing I do mm-hmm. is, and it probably is bringing order out of chaos. Um, I just like a little bit of chaos. So it makes yeah. me nervous. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Is that you, if you, if your vocation is how you reflect the image of God, then any occupation you have, that is what you're going to do there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So if mm-hmm. you bring order out of chaos mm-hmm. and your um, street sweeping, which is mm-hmm. always something that comes up when we talk about vocation, then you're bringing order out of chaos. There. Right. That's how you reflect the image of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you are then a, let's say you are, are a writer, well, you're going to bring order out of chaos by writing. So the mm-hmm. occupational things it's almost backwards. It's not like we find our vocation right. by mm-hmm. doing an occupation. It's like we reflect God's image as a vocation yeah. into what we're mm-hmm. occupied with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and potentially someone who's doing the same, occupying the same job might do it differently based on their vocation. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's helpful. That's yeah. really those those four frameworks are so neat. I love how you're you're reframing. Uh, young people's minds to see 
themselves first as vocational beings rather than occupational or 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 doing beings so helpful uh i wonder tammy if you could um in in light of all this what what would you say maybe the biggest factor and obviously there's a lot of factors and influences that go in um to helping someone determine their vocation and maybe i'll add occupation to that as well Mm -hmm. but what would you say one of the biggest factors is in in helping someone determine that is it like is it this reflection piece is it um like other people like what are i guess what what's one of the biggest factors uh the answer to that question is yes it's all those (laughs) um but i will say most young people don't have enough information to reflect upon Mm. yeah right Mm. so they they have done a few things they've been a student yeah and they might have had a job and they might have had actually a technical job, like a life, um, a lifeguard or something where they actually got trained technically. Um, and then they've been like a family member and they may have babysat. Like there's mm-hmm, very yeah. limited experience. And then they've experienced work by the people that are in their community. So if they know their parents, maybe their parents' jobs, you know, and mm. my kids were little, they asked what daddy did. And I said, oh, he counts money. You know, that's what he does. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were little. And so, um, so that was, I think we need to help them have a little bit of fodder mm-hmm. to reflect yeah. on. And so we do some assessments and they're very helpful. And um, I like... There's some objective ability assessments out there that I think are very helpful in the initial phases of trying to figure out who you are, but you don't really need an assessment mm. to be able to reflect. You just need stuff to reflect on. Right. right. So no matter um, what you're doing with students, if you're spending time, I would say the biggest thing is to listen mm. and reflect back what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it is a coaching tool, but it is absolutely part of the process because, um, you know, they are they are thinking through what their life is going to be about, but they've mm-hmm. never done this before. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of surprising to us when we talk to young people. It's like, oh yeah, they they haven't lived through teenage years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> We're all looking back, going, oh yeah, it's teenage. This is what happens then, and they're like, yeah, I've never done this before. Yeah, yeah, I'm in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I I have no idea, and it's really confusing right now for mm-hmm. young people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many voices really screaming right. at them. Yeah, and um, and so trying to help them have a place where um, they're being honest about who they are and what they're doing mm-hmm. and they're not feeling the pressure to choose early. Yeah. Right. I, I tell people all the time, there's lots of types of achievement and early achievement is just one of them. Mm-hmm. And our culture loves it. Hmm. Yeah. It, the more, you know, we see videos of five-year-olds playing amazing sonatas. Yes, I mean, right. I was just sort of yeah. like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, makes all of us who are, are older than that, feel like underachievers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's like, oh, if only at five, I could have done that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you sort of touched on this, but like, so that, yeah, sort of there's this kind of reflecting back, listening well to them mm-hmm. and sort of fostering a curiosity, I guess, within Absolutely. them. Kind of like, why well, do I, you know, what what is it mm-hmm. about that that I like or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. And then like, what would you say in terms of um, what are challenges or you, you sort of said there's so many voices and there's yeah. lots of competing narratives and, the, yeah, the overachievement or the early achievement or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, are the, what are some other challenges in terms of that discerning vocation and occupation and career mm-hmm. and things? Yeah. I think the biggest difficulty is life moves so fast and yeah. it's so full. Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, when I was on a high school campus, like you want kids to have reflection time, but you don't want them to have too much reflection time because, you know, they could get in trouble. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they're out there doing their own right. thing. And so I do think there's um, there are some struggles in our culture trying to figure out the whole um, technology side mm. of stuff. You guys have talked about it. And there's so many people writing on the in- influence of mm all the different social media outlets and even just having a computer at our beck and call on our phones uh, just changes the way we think about life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as much as I would um, 
as you can, I would say normalizing not being on your phone, mm. not being on right. your computer, uh, having times where that is a practice mm-hmm. in your home. Now, I know that's a battle. Like it, it's a it's a battle from mm-hmm. the beginning to yeah. um, in our culture to say, you know, it might be good for you not to spend so much time on your phone. Um, I am I really am sort of pushing um, schools that I'm talking to to really consider how they're using technology in the classroom. Yeah. Just because I don't really think they need very much mm-hmm. um, unless they're in a technical class. Right. I, I just think interacting with people is really good. And we learned mm-hmm. a lot about that from um, from COVID. You know, Zoom was not mm-hmm. the same as being mm-hmm. in the same space together. And kids suffered because they weren't in the same space with the people mm. that were teaching them. Yeah. And um, and so I think that's one of one of the difficulties right now. Yeah. And then, you know, it's always a generational thing. This is the other thing that I talk a lot about. We have up to five generations in the workplace right now, which is crazy. We just mm. amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. I know. It really is. And um, and I mean in high places, you know, we have 80 year olds running the country. And I was just kind of yeah. crazy, but it's true. <laughs> and then we have our Gen Zers who are just like, I just, you know, I'm a kid and I want to get something done. Mm-hmm. And uh and I think getting better at, in organizations about how we talk about the different generations. Because I think it's really easy to uh, point to the younger generations and say, well, you know, they're just on their phones all the time and they don't get anything done. They don't, you know, whatever they say. Um, and there's lots of it that everybody says. Yeah. And then the, the opposite of that is um, young people being frustrated with older people who don't know technology and they mm. really feel like, well, if they weren't here, we might get more done, those kind of things. Yeah. And so I just think. Um, there's a communal aspect to this mm-hmm. that when you're actually in community with people living out um, the day-to-day occupations that you have, you begin to understand how you reflect the image of God because you're doing it already. And, mm-hmm. and as you mature, um, you begin to, to reflect him even better mm-hmm. because you're beginning to know more about yourself, know more about God. And that reflection becomes clearer. And so what I what I like to say to people who are working with younger people is um, if you see something, say it. And I don't mean negative. Mm. I mean, positive. Yeah. Like yeah. You're, gonna, yeah. you're probably going to you know, do your your um, negative or the the observation of things that could be improved because that's sort of a natural thing, especially in a school environment. But if we're looking for. um how people reflect the image of God, then the question is mm. how, how, what's observable about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me look at someone and say, I see that you reflect the kindness of God because you're always sharing um, your lunch with your friend, you know, whatever it is that mm-hmm. you see, you begin to think these vocational ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it's good to have the short, the, the four yeah. um, individual things that you can say, okay, well, then as a group, how can we, what can we see that's visible in these yeah. four different areas? And how can yeah. we talk to young people about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so encouraging. It's it's quite incredible too, I imagine. I've experienced myself, but then f- for others to, to say those words and how impactful they can actually be for a young person's life and help shape and form them. And I know you've, you've talked a lot about like the importance of uh, community of like having a community help discern someone's vocation, not doing it in isolation. I wonder though, um, as we've kind of talked, say there's a, there is a high school student out there. Um, what would be like the first initial step in, in trying to discern their vocation for the future? Um, you know, we, uh, you, you kind of touched on like, well, there's different tests out there, but that's maybe not necessarily, it might be helpful, but maybe it's not necessarily the best step. Like what would be a good starting point for, for a student? I think one of the best starting places, especially if you're in community is to discuss how you discern things. That's one of the, yeah, Yeah. I, I, that's one of the areas that I'm constantly coaching on with young adults Mm. um, is especially post-college because the way we think about education 
um, Mm. in our company is it's like a treadmill. It moves whether you're on it or not. And you just kind of hop on. And as long as you're keeping up and doing the things you need to do, you will reach a goal and then the treadmill will stop. But once the treadmill stops, the ground doesn't move anymore. And so you then Mm -hmm. have to move yourself. Right. And a lot of times it's that moment that becomes the crisis. Yeah. They get off the treadmill after undergraduate or even after high school and they don't really know what to do next. And so I think one of the best conversations mentors can have with students is to say, well, let's talk a little bit about how you discern what to do Mm. and let's think about that together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I wrote last year for our church, a, a vocation, um, they're doing a thing called practice groups, which has been a great, interesting thing for me to watch. Um, but they didn't have someone writing their vocation one. And they were like, we don't even know how to practice vocation, <laughs> which was <laughs> kind of funny. They were like, we think this is important, but we don't really know what to do. So I said, well, let me take a stab at it. And so I wrote it for them. And one of the things that seemed to be the most helpful for young adults, mostly all out of college was this um, four-step discernment process that I just put in there. And it wasn't anything earth shattering. Like if you, if I said, all right, tell me how you discern what to Mm -hmm. do next, you would have a process, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, um, you, you would definitely spend some time in prayer and you would then spend some time paying attention to what you're reading in the Bible. You may be reading through the Bible in a year, but God's pointing to things as you're reading it. Hmm. You're feeling the Holy Spirit sort of um, saying, yeah, this is the phrase that's important today. And what's that about? And then you've got a community. And if you trust that community, I'd be having conversation with them. And then the the fourth step for me is you then have to decide. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've had kids who don't really know how to make a choice, even after they've done all the assessment and they've done a pros mm-hmm. and cons list and they just need more information. I'm just like, hey, flip a coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when the coin is in the air, decide what you want it to be. And you've made your choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you flip the coin and you say, oh, I really want what heads represents, then go that way. Now, the yeah. other thing. The other thing that I talk about is we do a lot of prototyping in our company. It's like um, failure hmm. isn't fatal. So you could fail something and you still are fine. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there's there's outcomes and things that come out mm. of failure. But the reality is, is standing here not being able to do anything is its right. own form of failure. Right, yeah. right. And so you have to actually take the first step. And so let's prototype some possible careers for you. Mm -hmm. So you don't really know what you want to do, but we know it's in the heal and restore area. We know it's kind of um, might be in medicine, but it also might be um, in some sort of political realm. You're kind of thinking about those two ideas. Well, let's test it. Let's Mm -hmm. either do some informational interviewing where you talk to people about what they're doing or do a summer program somewhere around that idea or um, get a job somewhere yeah. that actually does the thing that you're thinking about doing. And mm-hmm. it, it'll be an entry level job. You may not make a lot of money at it. Um, or if you're in college, of course, there's internships and different right. things that you can apply for and um, experience that way. But they need more information. That's yeah. the big yeah. answer to your question. Yeah. <laughs> get them yeah. more information. <laughs> Is that part of even the fodder in the yeah. sense yeah. that like you, you kind of just need to do something yeah. And that'll, that'll even bring discernment there as well. Yes. And that's how a community can help because if a student chooses to do something or a young person chooses to do something and it's not right, but they don't know what's not right about it. Mm. Other people observing might have some information about what's not right about it, mm. but young people are um, embarrassed. There's a lot of shame around um, not doing, not making the right choice, which is unfortunate mm. <laughs> because they don't have a lot of practice at choosing. Yeah, And so, um, so I just kind of, I, I definitely normalize the idea that this is just practice. Mm-hmm. Like, like even you, you chose a major and now you're in that major in the workforce. And um, even that your first job is just practice. Mm-hmm. So get better at it. I mean, practicing, yeah. we practice to get better. Yeah. And so, um, so we think about that 
and we think about the um, just with what young people need to be able to make choices. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and um and they just don't usually they don't have enough information. So yeah. they need more. Right. Yeah. That's really helpful. It's so helpful. I I mean I've talked a lot about vocation in various times and but it's like it's just occurred to me that the ability to know and think like be aware of your dis- how you make a decision just in general, you know, is a like of course, like that's such a key part. Like it's not just, okay, I need to discern my vocation. It's like then I, you sort of think, okay, well, I need, is it this, is it that, is it that? But it's like actually a, a key step in that is how do I make decisions? Like what yeah. is my process for decisions? How do I do that? How do I cultivate mm-hmm. like a, a like a something something within me that actually can yeah. make decisions mm-hmm. and discern, and be willing to fail and be willing to yeah. try and try again and, you know, that sort of thing as well. It's mm-hmm. like. It's like, I mean, it's yeah. so obvious. I mean, I, you know, it's just like, yeah, oh, yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, and yeah, some that's... people make make um, decisions all the time and, and they are unaware of their process because yeah. they've done it for so long. Yeah. But if you think about, we talk about the college application process on the high school side and new counselors and they struggle because they don't really know much about it. I'm like, listen, you know way more about it than they do. Than they've they never do. done it. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've at least gone to college, you did the application process, you were successful and you have done a few in training. So you've done it way more than these students have done it. Mm-hmm. And so don't feel like you don't have something to offer. Right. We're not at the bottom of the ladder. We're at the beginning of the journey. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. at the beginning of the journey, there's beautiful things. There'll be different things as you go along in the journey, but don't think that because you've never done it before, you don't have something to offer. Yeah. Tammy, I wonder, this is so helpful. And we've been sort of talking about high school students, so people who have sort of are just starting out with these kind right, of these questions. Right. What about those those who have been on the kind of the journey of life and career and occupation and vocation for a little while and they're thinking, yeah, okay, I'm sensing a change and I, you know, need to, need to make a decision or I'm feeling, yeah, I'm prompt, there's some sort of prompt. What, like, how, talk to us about that process. Is it different is it similar for you? So what we're doing with young people, you've got more fodder, obviously. In yeah. Your, you've got more knowledge. You've got a bit more like you've done it before a little bit. You've yeah. failed a few times. Yeah. Um, we, we usually call that baggage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's where right. the counseling comes in. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. But yeah, uh, any, how, do, how is it different uh, as yeah. the sort of as we go along? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because uh, most of the time if I work with older people, so we usually target ages 15 to 35. So we're working currently yeah. with millennial and Gen Z students and yeah. young adults. Um, and they're in various stages of either education or career. Uh, but very often I'll be sitting talking to a student and um, the parent will stop me afterward and just go, so I'm just wondering, do you do this with like older people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I sign up? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm and, a bit over um, 35, but I've got, yes, a, just yeah, a, got a, question. a minute or two. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do, I do work with people. It's very selective for me personally working yeah. with people just so I don't have a lot of time. Um, especially at this point, I have worked with older adults. Um, actually through the malts period, I was really doing a lot of coaching of adults discerning, um, just discerning the next step, and I think it was COVID, you know, there's just a lot of mm. uncertainty during COVID. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my friends were like, hey, can I just get a session with you? I'm mm. like, sure, let's do it. Because one thing that coaching is, is it is about change. Right. So we are, we work in the liminal spaces between one thing and another. So between mm-hmm. high school and college, between college and work, between work and work. Uh, and so I understand the change process. Uh, and so what happens usually with adults is that they need two things. They need someone to sort of talk about and work through what's changing. Mm -hmm. And so that's a a coaching process that, okay, so let's talk about your life. And, and coaching is a facilitated monologue. So, so when you're coaching, I ask a question and you just talk and I'm like pulling things out of what you're saying Mm -hmm. and writing them down. Because I'm going to come back to him and say, you said this, talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Not because I need to hear it, but because they need to work through it. It's like you take everything out of your brain and you put it on the table. 
Mm-hmm. And the coach says, this thing right here is something that you have said three or four times. Yeah. We should pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. So for older adults, I very often will recommend coaching with somebody because mm-hmm. the change is happening, whether they're paying attention to it or not, because they're feeling it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a coach is trained to do just that. Well, let's get it all on the table and let's kind of think about what you want to do about it. And then there are things that I don't do, which are um, resume and, you know, all the, all the practical steps of how to move from one job to another. Mm-hmm. And, but I will tell you that um, the most efficient way to move from one job to another is with someone in your network. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just saying, oh, I want to do this new thing and it's over there. You don't know anybody over there doing that thing. It's a lot harder to get to that thing without someone in your network introducing you into that sphere. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it's amazing because every adult is connected to people who are connected to that sphere. Like yeah. somebody in your network with just one or two degrees of separation can get you into another place. Mm-hmm. But but we don't, we're, we're, I think it's a trust issue. We're not really trusting that if we told people we were interested in, moving into that area, especially if it's something new and different, like Mm. everyone starts the panic alarms go off. Oh no, you're leaving, Mm -hmm. you're leaving this thing that you've done forever and you're wanting to do this new thing. And it's so risky. And yeah, we're all a little risk averse. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just kind of go, well, it's a practice. Let's, let's go see, you know, have an, Mm -hmm. have an interview with someone, an informational interview with someone who does what you're thinking about doing. Mm. Just say, Hey, can I take you out for coffee? I want to hear what you do. And just ask them about how they got into it. Just a lot of what you guys do on the podcast. How did you get into this? And why did you do it? And what motivated you to do that? And what did you Mm -hmm. do before? And what kind of stuff would you say I would need to do before I even started thinking about working in that Mm. job? So tell me about it. Um, And so community becomes very important then Mm -hmm. because you're extending your community, your network to a person who doesn't have that network. And it's really a form of blessing. Yeah. It's a form of blessing to say, here's this person who's wanting to do this thing and I have the means to get them connected. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so helpful. I, uh, the informational interview piece is, that's, that's really neat. Um, just like that simple step of reaching out to somebody who you've you've seen or what they've been doing and just just ask them questions. Very simple step. Yeah. Um, and and easy to do. We hope you've been enjoying this wonderful conversation. But Claire wanted to take a few seconds just to share some ways you could get involved more in the Regent College podcast. Totally. We at Regent, we love people being a part of the things that we're doing. And so there's a couple of different ways you can do that. If you've enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations, let someone know. Share it with them. Share it with a family member, with a friend, with someone who you think would appreciate this and would love to hear it. That's the first way. Mm-hmm. Second way, you could you could give us a rating or write a little uh, comment on one of the on wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be another great way. And then the final way that you could uh, participate with us is if you've enjoyed the podcast and you'd like to give a donation to Regent College, then we would warmly receive that. Yeah. You can do that by heading to rgnt.net forward slash give. And, you know, in the comment box, let them know that we sent you. Right, Nick? That's right. We do love hearing when people have appreciated the podcast. And so let you can let Nick know by sending an email to podcast at regent-college.edu. When Nick and I are having these conversations, it's sometimes hard for us to realise that actually people listen to these. And so when we get emails or we get a little note in the comment box on the donation page of our website, it just reminds us that people are actually listening and we love that. So please let us know that you're listening. Let us know if there are things that different profs that you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Yeah, I'm wondering, so we've been talking about what uh, individuals who are trying to discern vocation can do. I wonder what um, institutions can do. So like churches or educational institutions or even other organizations can do to help individuals engage in vocational discernment. I think the biggest thing is just pay attention to it. I think having conversations around um, not knowing, I think, I think that's one of the interesting things about 
Hmm. living a life Mm -hmm. is that we have to not know before we know. And we have to make sure that we understand that we don't know. Um, And so it's interesting talking to young people because they believe, um, let's say they're going to take a class and they've they are making choices about taking classes. They don't take classes that they don't know anything about. Yeah. Mm. They take classes that they know something about. And I was just sort of like, okay, so learning, <laughs> learning is about learning something new that you don't know anything about. Mm. And so you should go into every class knowing that you're not going to know stuff, <laughs> but that's not the way they feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They feel very, um, nervous about not knowing enough about the topic that they're getting ready to study. It's like they have to prove that they're, I don't know, smart yeah. enough or something. Mm-hmm. And so it's very strange. So I think normalizing not knowing yeah, mm-hmm. and normalizing in a way that is continual. Like mm-hmm. the people who I know that know the most about something. In fact, I had a great colleague um, years ago and he was a PhD historian and I would ask him a question about something and he knew, he was like a Renaissance man. So he taught calculus and he taught history and he taught English I and mean, he taught everything. Hmm. And I would ask him a question about something. He was like, yeah, not my area of expertise. And I'm like, oh, there is an area that's not an area of your expertise. You know mm-hmm. so much. Hmm. Yeah. And he, he said, you know, Tammy, one of the things that I learned uh, through my PhD work was there is so much to learn that I don't know hmm. that the little tiny sliver that I do know is not is like a drop in the bucket. Of yeah. all mm-hmm. that there is to know. And I just think that, oh, yeah. So normalizing that you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. which seems logical, but yeah. it's it's not the world we live in. No. We have that we have that happening at Regent all the time. So you have students coming in who think, oh, I don't know who that, I don't know who Augustine is. And it's like, you don't have to know. You didn't right. need to know. It's fine. Yeah. That's why you'll here. find out. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. If you needed to know, like if you knew everything before you came, you wouldn't be here. Yeah, that's that's right. right. Yeah. The whole idea is that you're coming here because you don't know. Yeah. Right. And that's okay. Like it's okay <laughs> that you don't know. And so ask the questions. Be the one. Be the one who's kind of humble enough to say, "I've never heard of that person. I don't know yeah. who that is." Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. I feel like everyone. And it's that. But it's that. There's some weird thing where we think everyone else knows, and it's like, right. That's not true. They know the. Right. They know the little sliver of something that they know and they probably know that really well but they don't they don't like I mean it's so silly they don't know everything right ding 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 surprise well yeah yeah and if you think about the reflecting God's image part of this is if we all reflected the image that was knowledge of Augustine we would Mm. not be reflecting any other part of God Mm -hmm. and so that's how you really get to the oh yeah Mm -hmm. there's a part of there's a part of me that's not like anybody else that I'm going to reflect the image of God in the way that he's created me to. And finding what that is, mm-hmm. is a lifelong search. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to reflect the image of God in this way? Mm-hmm. And I need to learn about how I move in the world. And a lot of times education helps with that, gives us mm-hmm. fodder to sort of push back against. And, mm-hmm. and then, um, and then having those conversations. So, for institutions, very often I'm I'm talking about practices. So what are what are your practices of getting students to feel normal about not knowing? Not knowing. Mm-hmm. So so the practice is we are all learners, mm-hmm. and so what what can we observe about learners that's different than knowers? Because knowers act a different way, and so what are some of those things that we can observe? And so. Uh, we begin with these questions, which is great. Of course, mm. it all started with, I need better questions. Yeah. And this is how it shows up in the workplace in an institution. As we say, how are we normalizing things? What are our practices um, mm. around these ideas and around mm. an, an, an educational institution around learning? Mm. And then like in a church, part of the struggle is... Um, we have, and then of course, this is such a, a, a big topic, but we have people that we uh, can read in our church denominations that are safe. And then mm. we have people that are like not safe. Mm. Right. And so, okay, you shouldn't read them because, oh my goodness, you might just like. Um, and my prayer when I went to Regent was, God, just keep me within orthodoxy because I know it's so easy to just go off, as my mother-in-law says, go off towards Joneses and (laughs) um, just believe something I want to believe. 
And so I just think there's a little bit of, so one thing I love about Regent is the ecumenicity that I experienced there where looking for truth um, in God's word and in people who are searching for truth, who are stating, mm. you know, I'm searching, searching for the God of the Bible and what is the Bible saying about him and how we reflect his image. Uh, I think in churches so often um, you, I, I mean, I've had it where you just quote somebody that's on the naughty list and it's mm. like, well, we can't trust you anymore. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, well, okay. Yeah. I have to pick a different person to quote because I got so many of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah. So I think institutions being careful about when someone says something, even if they're, um, mm. I don't mean heresy, like they're not reading heresy. I just mean they're reading something that isn't one of the books that we would hand them from our church, mm -hmm. that we ask more questions about what they're learning. So what mm -hmm. are you learning from that? What, what is what is he saying? And and it's a form of honoring the fact that they're uh, be, mm -hmm. being autodidactic. You know, they're they're learning for themselves, which we really like. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. and then people are then more willing to respond when you might correct a doctrine or correct some way of thinking about this mm -hmm. um, instead of just saying, Oh, you're reading that person. Oh my goodness. I can't mm. even imagine. Yeah, um, totally. So, so yeah, yeah. So I think those two things sort of normalize that we don't know mm -hmm. and then being really careful how we talk to people when they bring us artifacts of their own learning Mm -hmm. you know, be really curious about it rather than, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do about that. You can, mm. you can do the, oh my God, I talk to parents about this all the time. You can do the, oh my goodness, what am I going to do about that behind closed doors? Yeah. With, with someone with your, else. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With someone else. Absolutely. Um, but with the person who is like, I'm just trying to figure out my life and I found this thing on the internet. And what do you think about that? You want to go, well, tell me what you're learning from that. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And try really hard not to be surprised. Um, <laughs> at least physically, you know, manage yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and that is another coach training thing is you, you really have to, if you're doing coaching in person, um, you really have to be careful how you respond because mm -hmm. it has to be a safe place right? in the truest sense. They're just going to say what they're thinking and you have to be curious about what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. And being curious is different than feeling like you have to correct all the mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm. And just know that young people haven't done this before. I mean, it's just yeah. my mantra. Like they, yeah. they've never decided where to go to college. They've never yeah. decided yeah. where they were going to live or what career they're going to have. They've yeah. never done any of this. Yeah. And yeah. you may have done it once or twice, but you even haven't done it very often. Mm. Right. And so yeah. be kind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. I was thinking even, even when someone brings something to you that, you're like, oh, tell me more. It's kind of like that's actually also doing the whole I don't know everything thing. It's sort of like yeah. it's also modeling the I don't know. I don't know everything. Yeah. So, you know, like it's it does both. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, yeah. and it keeps us from making assumptions. So tell yeah. me more statement is yeah. a great coaching tool because yeah. you, they're saying something. And the reality is, is um, you're seeing the tip of the iceberg with what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more underneath. And they're going to be selective about what they share with you. Um, because there's so much like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have all day to hear them. And yeah. so you're, you're making assumptions. And so whenever I'm kind of assuming that I'm understanding, I'm like, tell me more. And then I'm reflecting back to them what I'm yeah. hearing them say. Yeah. Um, because what they're saying, um, I want to understand, but it's in coaching is funny because you're not really asking questions for you to understand. You're asking questions for them to understand, right? which is a different thing. Yeah. It is a different thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I am, I am working through what, as a coach, when people are talking, I'm working through what else can I ask them to get at the heart of what they're trying to work on? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm sort of trying to ask questions for more clarity for them because yeah. a lot of times they don't even know what they're saying. It's coming mm -hmm. out of their mouth and they're going, I didn't even know I thought that. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Totally. 
And it's oh, like, man. okay, so what else would you like to explore about that statement? Because it yeah. did just come out your mouth. And <laughs> you did just I, say I don't it. know what it means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Tammy, this has been so good and so, so rich. Um, but our time is gone. Oh, no. Is there anything? I know. Is there anything that you, anything else, just kind of final thoughts you would want to leave us with or anything you wanted to, to say just as we, as we finish up? Yeah, I guess my, my final thought would be, um, you can't imagine what God has prepared for you. Mm. And so mm. you need to try to begin imagining it. Mm. Oh. Really good. Mic drop. Beautiful. So good. <laughs> Tammy, thanks so much for your time. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.